What's happening, everybody? It's me, Jason Goff. And as a longtime Chicago media dude, I'm on 10 to introduce you to The Full Go, a new podcast at The Ringer and Spotify dedicated to all things Chicago sports. We'll be coming to you on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights with all the reactions to the locals. Plus, I'll be chatting with my friends and people who matter in town. If you want to ask a question or fire off one of those absurd barbershop takes, I'll react to your calls on the listener voicemail line, too. So whether you're in Lakeview, the Wild Hunters, K-Town, the Burbs, or a transplant, make sure you follow The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. It is the Ring NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by former Falcons general manager and all-around great guy, Thomas Dimitrov, for an awesome conversation about team building, how to build a Super Bowl contender in 2021 and beyond. Let's get to it. All right, Thomas Dimitrov, um, one of the most interesting guys in football, I think. Uh, NFC champion general manager, longtime Atlanta Falcons team builder. Uh, now he rides bikes. You called me last night on a night bike ride. What's going on, buddy? This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. I was on a night bike ride. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. And you know, I was riding around in Atlanta, and, and I'm, my mind's really aware of what's going on, but I've been trying to keep my fitness going. And if the day goes by and I don't get my fitness in, I'm not feeling complete. So uh, most people would dissuade me from going out in the dark around here, but it, it was good. Good fresh air. Um, so we're doing a deep dive on team building today, and not only how the best teams right now in the NFL were built, but also... <laughs> kind of what that means in 2021, um, what that means in 2022 and going forward. And what I like about Thomas is not only did he build some of the best teams um, of the last decade, but he also has done a lot of study over the past year or so with some of the best GMs in football. Um, there's no name for it. We'll call it the Untitled Thomas Dimitrov Project. Uh, but he's been meeting with essentially a full day with some of the best GMs in football. Do you want to talk about that, Thomas, and kind of what you've learned big picture so far? Sure. I, I'll start by saying when I got fired, I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do for the next little while? I didn't want to just sit on my hands. I 
probably would have liked to have gone to Burgundy and drink some great French wines, but you know, travel <laughs> wasn't good. So I thought, you know, I interviewed for the Detroit Lion job and didn't get it. And I said, screw this. I bought myself a Sprinter van, had it all modified. It looks like an urban assault, uh, urban assault vehicle. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to yeah. contact a lot of my contemporaries in this business. And instead of sitting on my hands, I'm going to go out and do some professional development. Okay. I, I got confirmation from 16 around the league that they would do it with me. And at that point, I realized, like, wait a minute, why are we not you know, capturing this? Why, why right. don't we film this instead of letting this get you know, lost in the ether? So right. we agreed to it. We got some funding on it. And I traveled around in my van, literally to every place, <laughs> 60, 6,500 miles on, on the, uh, on the van. Uh, and, and I was, I had great meetings starting down in Tampa with Jason Light, all the way across the Southern coast, all the way up to the Northern Northwest to John Schneider and across to, you know, across the Midwest and of yeah. course the East coast and got a chance to sit down with all these guys. And, and these guys were amazing. Again, most of these guys are friends, if not, you know, good friends, if not yeah. acquaintances at the very le- least, had an opportunity to reconnect with a lot of these guys. And think about this for a second, Kevin. You get so competitive in this league that you get to a point where you used to be in those the scouting rooms all over the country. You'd be going out for dinners and drinks. And then you become competitors like crazy mm-hmm. and you, you're on the phone for a half a minute. So this was a, a sort of a, um, just a, a, uh, just it just replenished the friendships and it, it was heartwarming in many ways. These guys were giving me between four and seven hours. I mean, that, yeah. that's unheard of. So we had uh, some great, great time without talking about too much specifics. Yeah. What I, what, what I will say to you very quickly is there were, everyone was so different, as you can imagine, yeah. all with the same goals. But what makes this project really interesting is there's so many different nuances to everyone and they all want the same thing. I want to start because the biggest game this week is Rams Bucks. And I want to start with the guy you mentioned, Jason Light, who, listen, it was not perfect for a while there in Tampa Bay. And now he's built one of the best rosters in football. He brought every single person back. He has the greatest quarterback of all time as his quarterback, and they seem to have not missed a beat. Um, it's an interesting, I think that the Rams and the Bucks are both interesting from a team building perspective. But I want to start with the Bucks. When you were building the Falcons last year and you, you kind of looked over in the division and saw what Tampa Bay was building, um, you thought what about the Bucks? Well, I, here's what I know. Jason Light is a very adept evaluator. At the core, that's what he is. There's no question about that. He can go toe-to-toe with anyone. He, he has a really good understanding. He has a head coach who has a really good understanding of what they want and how important um, that is. Um, so uh, I think people look at him and think, wow, they won the Super Bowl last year with you know some amazing talent that they brought in older talent as well mm-hmm. that that possibly Jason and the franchise wasn't being visionary this year and i would say on the contrary when you win a super bowl and you can look across your roster and think that you can get back 22 starters that is a massively positive thing kevin it's not just like for the sake of it we need to cut people to keep everything fresh in no way do i believe there was complacency or laziness in the approach this year they were looking at it, and we we were we were taught by Bill Belichick. Both both uh, Jason and I were in that in the Patriot paradigm. It was mm-hmm. about literally, you know, your organization better than anyone. So there's going to be a lot of people out there throwing their darts and having opinions. What they did was put to keep together and put together a really good team. And like he said the other day to me, Thomas, I have 
we have done so much work on building other parts of this organization, pillar types, pillar type mm-hmm. players that are young and, and we can grow with. We are just making sure that we're maximizing the opportunity to use the talent that we have who gel together so well. And uh, I'm, I, I really admire, those weren't easy decisions to make, as you know, to, to not only bring in Tom, but Gronk, but also yep. other people within the organization. They, they went against the grain. And, and as you alluded to earlier on, I mean, Jason, you know, Jason's like I have and like many GMs have, he has felt the hot seat a lot, Kev. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that. And he stepped up, took a big-ass swing for the fence, and I loved it. I, I, I say to him now, and I know he doesn't like it because of his humbleness, he is still the best general manager in the football today because Ooh. they won the Super Bowl. Yep. And, and I believe that. Everyone yep. who wins the Super Bowl should have their reign as the top GM in the league. And he right now is still holding that. They're, they're undefeated. They're swashbuckling. They're undefeated right now. Wow. Um, I, I'm curious because, Thomas, after the Super Bowl, everybody says, well, the Bucs showed the blueprint to beat Mahomes, which I think is, is ridiculous. It's the same thing as, oh, the Giants showed the blueprint to beat Tom Brady. It's, it's get pressure with four guys and drop everybody back. Well, yeah, everybody's trying to do that. Everyone's trying to have a fast athletic defense like the Bucs. But I'm curious, when you look at the way that defense was built, what do you think the keys were to the Bucs to actually have the nasty pass rush the athleticism back there. I mean, you and I have talked about athleticism the linebacker for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously, you, you've, you've gotten some great ones. Um, but I'm curious, when you look at that defense and how it was built and kind of how it would be, it would be a model for the league if anybody could replicate it. Um, but what stands out, Thomas? Well, look, I mean, yeah, you, you cannot have a linebacker group that can't run with those special backs out there. And he's in a, he's in a division with, with Kamara. I mean, if you can't run and you can't match this is a matchup league. I will continue to say it time and again. That is what it is. And, and they, they did a great job with that, knowing yeah. that they can run. And then they get, they get, some, they get some badass pass rush on it. I mean, they yeah. can get upfield and then, you know, they're putting together their corners. Again, very impressive way that they're, they're keeping it in, in consideration. They know what's out there in their division, which is very, very important. Again, with New Orleans and, and with whether they have a record or not, with the athleticism on the Falcons uh, group, I mean, that's important. They have to, they have to run, they have to match. And, and then you get experience on top of it, which I respect a great deal. Okay. So the team they're playing this week, the Rams have maybe the most intriguing team building philosophy in football right now, because they're just not going to pick in the first round ever again. The last time that they had a first round pick was 2016. It was, I believe the day I started at the ringer. Um, I'm now washed. Uh, that, that's how long it's been. Um, and it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so 2022 and 2023 picks are already spoken for with the Matthew Stafford trade. Uh, they're always up against it with the cap. Um, I understand why they do it. And I've talked to the Rams about this. Um, but they are probably the most aggressive team. Everyone talks about this era of all in and all that stuff. And I think it's a bit of a misnomer. I'm talking to Brett Beach about this. And he said, basically, if, if you want to win, you have to be all in every year. Um, if you have a, a quarterback like Mahomes, yes, you're going to be all in every year. Uh, but the Rams live it. And I'm curious, as, as a GM, as somebody who studied it, uh, what you think of, of the Rams' aggression and just how they've approached it? Because I just don't think I've ever seen anything like this. I have not seen anything like it as well. And, and as you know, Les and I are really close. Les was yeah. my, my right-hand guy here yep. in those early years in Atlanta. Again, a great deal of respect for him. He is a football guy through and through which I love. And he's paired with one of the best coaches out there who, who has that understanding as well. It's why they work together so well, along with Kevin Demoff, 
I mean, it's a really good trifecta there who each understand their roles and they each discuss at at an intelligent level, um, you know, how they want to build this team. Okay. First thing I think is very important to know is when people throw out the idea that Les Snead and the the Los Angeles Rams um, aren't interested in the draft and they have no, you know, they're, they're always interested just throwing money into free agency. Um, again, after having a conversation with Les, Les on my travels, but you know, we, we communicate regularly and I've asked him those things. I've said that, look, there are certain moves that I, I don't necessarily agree with or, or, uh, not strongly disagree with, but I need, need some answers just to edify me. And his point to me was, Thomas, you have to understand we are not in this to disrespect the draft. You know, my belief in the draft. Our feeling is let's utilize the 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 um the um let's utilize picks let's utilize the mid-round picks let's utilize right. co- you know compensatory picks to build the nucleus of our 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 mid group and then yes we are trading away the first rounds which is tough for people to comprehend but what we are doing this I found found really interesting we are looking into what is usually a projection and you have to understand this Kevin as general managers and team builders, we all like to think we're good at projecting, but right. deep down in the core, it's it's the most one of the most nebulous things about team building. My God, we're projecting. What if our projection is not right at the offensive line position, at the quarterback position? Why don't we eliminate some of the precariousness of team building and go out and get people that other teams have already brought into the league who have proven themselves? So they're getting proven talent not only on the field, but then there are off the field elements. And I asked Les about that. You're also bringing in people who have, you know, personalities and characteristics that may not always jive with certain teams. And his point to me again, and I agree with this, they know what they're getting. They're a, they're a very studied and detailed thought out group. So they're not just picking a player up that may be a, a, a little bit of a wayward soul somewhere else and right. think that they're just getting, you know, someone who's going to be completely along the line and everything is going to be even keel. They know what they're dealing with and they know what they're expecting. And that's one of the things that was very positive. His point to me also has been over times and talking, as I understand studying it, um, really is taking advantage of what some of these teams out there are doing, whether it's Cleveland or other teams who are claiming a rebuild when they're jumping in there and they're allowing players that are pillar players for these big time teams to get out of their organizations yeah. and less is saying we're jumping on it. We, yeah. You know, these, these teams are, are gaining a lot of credibility within their towns and their cities, et cetera, et cetera, about, you know, claiming the rebuild. So they're going to move on from some of these high paid players. Less is right there to snap them up. And I, I think, again, I think it's a really unique way to approach it and really take away from this. They are very interested in the draft. They may not be focused as much on the one, they're moving back to acquire more and trying to get as many picks as they can to create the rest of their roster and then, you know, get the known uh, commodity, so to speak. It's interesting you talked about the kind of the, the jumping on it, because that's something Demoff has said to me as well, which is that everybody in the NFL, most teams in the NFL want to slow play it. And they want to say we're building judiciously step-by-step, step, all that stuff. And there's an actual advantage to saying, okay, we're going right now. Like our, our window is right mm-hmm. now. 
and, and we're going to make the moves based on that. And I think it's an interesting philosophy. Um, last game I want to talk about before we get into a, a bigger deep dive, more broad deep dive, uh, Packers-Niners. So Packers seem to right the ship uh, on on Monday. This game now takes on an extra layer of intrigue that it didn't have after the Saints game. And I want to start with San Francisco. Um, you obviously have been around Kyle Shanahan a lot. I think there's a lot of questions about Jimmy Garoppolo right now and how long he's going to be a starter, how ready Trey Lance is. Um, a couple of questions. And I, I, I want to start with this. You had Matt Ryan in 2008, and I actually talked to, to Matt a couple weeks ago on Slow News Day, and I said, what was the key to having a hot start as a rookie? And he said, a good running game. Um, and, and Michael Turner and, and not having uh, having to actually make any plays. Um, but when you're watching Kyle Shanahan handle the rookie quarterbacks and all of the I mean, everybody's been talking about Kyle Shanahan and, and quarterbacks for the past six months because it started with the Mac Jones stuff, all that stuff. Um, but it, watching this Niners team, um, your big takeaway is what, Thomas? So, so when you look at the Niners right now, at least in, in my impression, or my impression is that you have, let's start by saying you have two really intelligent, thought out, insightful football men in a head coach and Kyle Shanahan and the general manager. And then the complicated thing is you have two really intelligent, insightful football men at the helm, yep. meaning there's, there's a lot going on there with a lot of intelligence and a lot of discussion. I would love, first of all, to be, have been a fly in the wall for both of these acquisitions, both Jimmy Garoppolo right. as well as the Trey Lance, because I guarantee it wasn't just uh, all just kind of smooth. I've been in those meetings before. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot going on in those discussions. There's a lot of opinions. And that's what makes a good group really good is that they're able to discuss, they're able to debate appropriately and come to a decision. They obviously have a decision to make there. And I think it's multi-layered, as you can imagine, because first of all, you have the idea of Jimmy Garoppolo and mm -hmm. good football player, good athlete, um, has a presence, of course, at certain levels. And unfortunately, there's an element of inconsistency there. And inconsistency for a team that is such as the, the Niners, that's complicated, right? Because yep. they have a lot of tools in place to be a stellar organization, and they are, um, but they need consistency from their quarterback. And then you flip it over, and you have Trey Lance, who, you know, we all know he's got, he's got, um, potential coming out of his ears and, you know, the sky's the limit athletically and movement and versatility, which I think is a great thing for him that he has versatility. And that's what, you know, we, we've heard from Kyle that we're going to use him because of his versatility right now while he evolves. Well, the ev evolving process could take a long time with him, as you know, because he's been, yeah. he has almost an unnerving amount of uh, of experience. And I'm mm -hmm. talking about, you know, we know having not played a whole bunch and he's not playing again to hand that over to someone right now to a team that can be the top, one of the top in this league. That's a precarious spot for that organization to be in. So it has to be really well thought out. It comes down to wins, even though there's inconsistency and in Jimmy, can they still win while they're giving their guy, Trey Lance, the heir apparent more experience, but yeah. That little bit of experience, you know, sprinkled in one or two plays is not giving them the experience necessarily to take over and run with it. And then, oh, by the way, think about it. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking about being a GM in this situation, talking to my head coach saying, all right, we need to prove to the world that Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback who is worth <laughs> really good value on the market if it comes down to a trade. So there's, mm. you know, there, there, there there are elements of that that could be justification or rational, you know, rationalizing, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. 
but there are a lot of layers in this decision. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Um, with the Packers, uh, I have a couple questions about them, but the first is about Rodgers and not necessarily how you, you would handle that, but I, I do think I'm curious to know how that would have gone down if, if he were the Falcons quarterback. Um, but I, I'm, I'm more con- from a team building aspect. Um, Aaron Rodgers makes a ton of money. And I, w- I want to broaden this a little bit because uh, you guys obviously have Matt Ryan. And I, I think one of the most impactful conversations that we've ever had is when I think a couple months after you'd signed him to a $30 million deal, um, you said, it's it's a it's going to be a bargain, you know, fairly soon. You can you know just wait a couple months, and you're going to see some of these contracts. And Matt Ryan at thirty million dollars is going to feel like a steal. And two years ago, certainly, uh, it felt like that. Um, when you're team building with an elite quarterback, but also an expensive quarterback, um, where do you start? And what things do we not talk about enough? Uh, building around a guy like that. Well, on on you know the Packers situation, let's start by saying. Okay, we know that Rodgers is still one of the top quarterbacks in this league and, and ostensibly holds the key to that, keys to that organization. I would say, first of all, on that whole situation, this is an unbelievably interesting study. And it's a case study for all of us, those who are, are current GMs and those who are formers, those who are looking back to get in, that they are able to study something that no one anyone wishes they were in the situation with that Brian Gutekinds and, and um, you know, Matt LaFleur are in. Yeah. And we are living through them vicariously because we never want to be in that position with your top guy. Let's call it the way it is. I mean, whether Aaron would phrase it this way or not, it's a strong leveraging power play. And when you're the two team builders involved in that, and it's this uncertain uh, whether his future there or not, and how the players are responding to it. Yeah. Again, no one in this league wants to be in it. It's created massive factions, I think, within the league. You have management and coaches looking at it with a very critical eye saying, the last thing we want is Pandora's box to be opened up this right. way where you're going to have more and more of these players with their hands on, on the, the so-called uh, reins. Then you have the agent and the player side, and the players are 100% looking at this thinking, man, if we could gain this step of leverage in the future, this is a big, big deal for the league. And it's a big deal for agents. Again, you know, agents are sitting there wringing their hands on this and they're, <laughs> they're thinking this doesn't come every day, but the fact that it is coming around right now and has caused yeah. such an interest level, it is unbelievably it's, it's, I've never seen it before this way. And, you know, Yes, you have guys like Matt Ryan, at least my own experience, and Julio Jones, who had a, who had a lot of power within an organization. Yeah. I believe communicating with the guy, i.e. Aaron Rodgers, and I told you this before, communicating with Matt Ryan is very is essential and important. Just like Bill Belichick was always good about communicating with Tom Brady. That said, they do not run the organization respectfully. They they can give in insight and input. In the end, I'm a personal, I'm a big believer in you have to know where the line is that way. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very important thing in the future and how this all plays out. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little 
sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the hotels.com app today. What you know, it's interesting. Um, everyone's talked about how maybe the Rodgers thing is kind of the limits of player empowerment in the NFL as compared to the NBA. Um, you mentioned what, where the line is. What, what is the line in the NFL right now um, between kind of empowering superstars, like you said, like a Julio Jones, like a Aaron Rodgers, making sure he feels heard and and giving him the kind of power we've seen in, in the NBA. Where is that line right now, Thomas? I mean, for me, the line, the, the line is good, strong communication and not right. just not just like sort of listening, but literally sitting down and talking and listening and getting takes on organization, on, you know, on not necessarily give that quarterback or that receiver that has the power that they may have, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, video to watch and have them evaluate. In no way do I believe that should be the case. I do believe their opinions about the club that they're, 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 they're at the helm, you know, as quarterbacks and such, or, yeah. or uh, one of the in-charge pillar players, I do value their opinions about it. I'm not looking for them to rat out the other players in any way. What I am looking for is intelligent insight about the organization and what they see. Whether we as general managers or head coaches make the decisions that are in line with Aaron Rodgers or Matt Ryan or Tom Brady is, is beside the point. We've listened mm -hmm. to them. We've contemplated. We room, we've ruminated with everyone in the building who is involved with that. And then we'll make a group and a, a proper organizational decision with their input being talked about. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So let's start big picture here. Uh, what is something that we don't talk about enough when we're talking about building a great team? What is the one thing you think the media misses or players miss or fans miss uh, when we're talking about building a final four Super Bowl caliber team? Okay. I'm, I've, I've thought about this a lot and I think it gets lost. It is imperative to understand how impor important the relationship between coaching and management, team building, um, a general manager and personnel right. department is. We've talked about in the imperative communication there. Yes, that's very important. It's very important to make sure common wavelengths are traveled when you're building the team. The last thing you want to do is bring in players acquisition as a general manager and his personnel department to a coaching, a head coach and a coaching staff and just want to drop them on their doorstep. I think this comes back to communication. This yeah. comes back to knowing inside out the evaluation abilities. And I'll lead into this of the entire organization. I'm talking about coaching staff and personnel staff. 
as a general manager, it was always vital for me to know the strengths and the weaknesses of my staff. Yeah. It's imperative that the head coach knows the strengths and weaknesses of his staff, and both of us understand both sides. Meaning, in my situation, Dan Quinn would communicate with me which coaches were truly involved in the team building side, who had the eye, who were adept evaluators, and which we knew weren't as adept at evaluating. They evaluating, they might have been very good coaches, Kevin, and might be very good developers, but their evaluation prowess may be more midline. Mm. And and I would I that communicating with a head coach is very important. I would say the same thing. A head coach communicating to me, hey, scout A, B, C, and X, Y, and Z, or A, B, and C are really good. X, Y, and Z, I'm not buying their evaluations. Well, it's important for me to take that into consideration. This comes back to the importance of an entire group uh, being evaluated and understood when you're team building from an evaluation acquisition standpoint. Um, and I... and. Too often people are thinking, ah, it doesn't matter. Just give the, the coaches their, their players. If coaches are against certain players that are given to them into their rooms, you know as well as I do, it's human nature. If they don't like the player for myriad reasons, the su success probability for that player goes drastically down. Yep. And yep. as a GM, the last thing I want to do, because I'm being judged on team building acquisitions, is our assistant coaches not buying in to the players. Yep. And this is a quandary, as you can imagine. You don't want your assistant coaches to be making the decisions. This is about the head coach right. and the general manager making the decisions. But you got to make sure that there's proper communication. It's a really big, big 100%. discussion. And it's amazing, just from a media perspective, not even from a GM perspective, from a media perspective, when a coach or an assistant doesn't like a player the GM drafted, Everybody knows about it really quickly, really quickly. I'm talking Sunday night of the draft. They're texting people and saying, oh, I don't know about this because they want to distance themselves. And it happens all the time. And so it's, it's important. Uh, it's an important part of it that, that nobody talks about. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Okay, so let's talk about how your philosophy changed and how the league changed um, over the past, well, let's say, 15 years. Um, and, and some of those changes occurred at different times than others. Um, I want to start first with the salary cap because right now is probably the most interesting salary cap era, a um, couple of years, because we had really just sort of unprecedented growth. About $10 million a year was added to the cap for over a decade. Um, and then it slowed. And then now it's about to explode in a way that is even unprecedented, even compared to the last decade. Um, when it comes to player spending and how you viewed free agency or viewed taking risks or viewed uh, signing, re-signing your superstars, whatever it is, uh, how did your philosophy on the cap change uh, as you navigated your career, Thomas? Well, that, that's a really good question. What you have to understand about the Atlanta Falcons is from day one when I stepped in there in 2008 all the way through to, you know, through my 13 years with Arthur, Arthur is such a competitor and Arthur is so generous. Arthur Blank, I'm talking about, of course, yep. that he would always say to me, utilize our resources. You would, if you look back on my entire time there, this was a strong organizational decision for us to be one of the top spenders. Because again, you have a competitive owner who wants to give back to the fan base and do all he can to provide us with opportunities. So rarely were we there around the end of free agency time where we weren't trying to, to utilize 
And never did I sit there with 20, 30, $40 million cap space. Mm-hmm. That just wasn't our approach. It never was our approach there. And you can see that through the moves that we have made over the years. I would say cap management was something that we were really, really, really aware of. We knew that we were going to be spending at times, you know, cash over cap. And, and yeah. that happens in this league, of course. And then you make it up. There are teams out there that are very aggressive and other teams that are much more reserve about it. That never changed for us, even all the way up until probably this year where there was a $30 million cut on the, on the cap because of everything that went down. I wasn't a part of that, of course. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of people complaining that we were in cap hell. And I said, we're not in cap hell. We were, we were never in cap hell. We knew that we were ready to make a lot of decisions on players, a number of decisions that weren't going to break the organization, which is a whole other topic. As far as changing that, I would say just from a cap standpoint, and, and this will bleed into some of the other elements when we talk about um, you know, putting your money out there, let's call, yeah. call it the way it is. Shorter contracts later on, you know, we've come to a spot where we're spending, you know, we're not having longer contracts. The agents don't want it. The player doesn't want it. He, not, he wants another kick at the can. You know, the guarantees that have gone, uh, gone on since the, since the Kirk Cousins deal, which as I was talking to a, to a guy recently, we were a, a, a cap expert recently. That was heresy, right? Yeah. That much guarantee. We have so much more of an open mind that way. So I will be amazed at how things change going into the future. Fortunately, I did not have to jump up and down on our approach. I stayed very consistent because the mandate within our organization was consistent. Interesting. Interesting. Um, The CBA, everybody talks about, and you obviously, um, there were two CBA changes over the course of your uh, tenure in Atlanta, um, but the 2011 one was the biggest one. And that changed so many things. Practice time. Um, off-season activities, uh, the rookie wage scale. Um, when we're talking about that, what what do we need to talk about more? Look, I a big, big deal in that for me, and it was a massive frustration for myself and our head coach and our coaching staff. You know, we're the on-field rules. Let's start with right. that. I mean, that was a bear, and I'm not. I mean, they worked really hard on that, and there was a there were a lot of positives, you know, for to sure. the eleven CBA. But when it came to that and when it came to the players that were involved in making those rules who were on the back end of their career, and I would have players come to me who were in the middle of their career, i.e. guys like Matt Ryan, who were so keen on developing their talents. Think about that. These players that were in the midline of their career who were looking to to get two and three more contracts, they were all about getting better. They wanted more reps. This wasn't just the quarterback. These, these were really affected it, I felt, was on the interior, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the O and D line. I mean, we, you talk about projection, as I was talking a little bit earlier. To project offensive linemen to come in from a college situation and then put them on the field and have the limitations in contact, that was a bear for us. That was very uncertain from the beginning of your evaluation to bring them in to not developing or developing slowly to not evolving as you want. I sit back and I think sometimes I, I even think about, you know, opportunities that we did. And, and one of my, I, I put my hands up that my worst draft was 2012 and 2012 was coming after the Julio deal, of course. Yep. But in the, in the early part of the second round, we draft Peter Kahn's a yep. wonderful guy, wonderful soul, but it was a mistake. We brought him in thinking and projecting. And in the end, 
the way that the rules were set up, we never truly were able to develop our offensive alignment. It's why you see more and more mistakes on O-line development because of those rules during that time. Mm. That, that's a, that's, that is a big, big deal. Now, I like how things have changed. You know, some of the rules are changing, of course, but that lack of in the trench, you know, contact that was limited. Uh, again, it did not stop at O-line, but it is, I'm focused on O-line because it is something that was really complicated for a lot of teams. The scouting process in general sped up so much because now you could, I mean, listen, technology changed every single facet of football, but now you could watch, I remember, I think it was Dave Caldwell who said this to me first, but you can watch 16 games in the time it used to take to watch two games um, of a college guy. And there was so much communication, the internet, all that stuff. Um, what do we what do we need to know about the modern scouting process, Thomas? So think about this scouting process way back when my dad was scouting and they were literally cutting down projectors, brother. They would take the projectors <laughs> and they had to, they had to modify them so they could fit over the top because they had to travel with their projectors to have film on their projector yep. and watch underneath you know, underneath stairwells at University of uh, Alabama or Penn State. It has changed where in those early years when I was scouting, again, I was just on the other side of film. We were watching VHS and we were watching beta and we were, you know, we had to be in the rooms together. You know, if someone had the, 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 uh, the, um, uh, remote and that person was slow and methodical, you'd be pulling your hair out. You're like, man, I got to get, I have to get 30 players done here at Alabama. That has changed now. Your effectiveness and efficiency in a, in a scouting mode is so evolved. You are able to watch many of these players prior to even getting into the school on your school visit. So then you may look at the most recent game or two games, and you already have a really good idea of what you're looking at. So mm-hmm. you can spend more time on your research, which, oh, by the way, remember, we evaluate our scouts not only on their ability to evaluate, of course. Equally as important, which sounds really odd, equally important is their ability to research and gather the right information from the right people in their context. If you don't have that, you're a staff that is lacking. To just go off of evaluation, when you guys look at it or, or Ben's looking at it, and I know we we're talking about his ability to evaluate, that's one part Shout of it. Shout out Ben Solak. Ben, my, my God, man, you were talking the other day and I was amazed. I thought you had 30 years of coaching experience. It was, it was really cool listening. My point on it is, you know, there are so many other nuances and layers to scouting today that you're able to focus on a little bit more because you're ahead of the game and not trying to spend eight hours in a, in a film room somewhere and then try to grab all your information before you're off to a five-hour drive. Thomas Dimitrov listening to the Ring NFL show and, and shouting out Ben Solak to me is one of, is one of my highlights of the month here. Um, just a couple more for you. Uh, the, the way that athletes have changed and offenses have changed. Um, and I know that those are two separate things, but they're extremely related. Um, you know, I think that everybody knows at this point, you can't have a really slow middle linebacker who just hits hard. Um, you probably in most, a lot of teams have moved away from a fullback like that. That stuff is pretty much set in, in, in stone for a lot of offenses. Obviously if you're Kyle Shanahan, that, that's a little bit different. Or if you're the Ravens, that's a little bit different. Um, but I'm curious, uh, the way that the offenses have changed, and, and you you lived it, Thomas, because, and obviously you weren't looking at quarterbacks, but the spread and the way that was accepted over the, the 2010 decade, 
uh, was really fascinating to me. And I'm curious um, specifically what you learned about that. Because I remember 2013, 2014, there were GMs who were telling me, oh my God, we drafted this wide receiver. He doesn't know the route tree. Um, he, and he can't even learn it. He, he just, just doesn't know. Or the, a quarterback had never identified the mic before and he can't learn it. Um, I remember some of the Baylor guys were like that. Um, Bryce Petty, I think, was, was, a, was a pretty good example of someone who uh, openly said he just didn't know how to um, you know, look at anything with the defense. And I'm curious um, how that played out for you and what you learned about offense through that decade, Thomas. Well, this does come back to what we we're talking about, making sure that there's really, really good communication between myself, the head coach, and the coordinators, and exactly what system we're going to be running. And during that time, we were very aware of having to, to make sure that we had the right athletes, of course, that fit a system. Remember that system-specific scouting is very, very important in my mind. Because again, you can make some massive mistakes by bringing players in that are ostensibly the best on the board at that time, but they don't fit your system. And if you're not clear as an organization about the system that you're going to run and you invest a lot of compensation again, or a lot of uh, you know uh, acquisitions in the draft to get certain players, and you change your system a year or two from now, you can put your organization back a great deal. So back to yeah. offenses and back to athletes, back to the idea of athletes, you have to really be keen on the type of athlete that you're bringing into your organization. Yeah. Let's look. I could talk about offense forever, and I don't mean to jump over to defense. When Dan Quinn came in. To the Atlanta Falcons, he came from a, a group, as you know, with Pete Carroll, who was all about explosiveness, quick twitch, fast. Fire. And we were that in 16 when we got to the Super Bowl. Yep. But think about Mike Smith's defense. We had a whole bunch of, you know, more three, four. We were going big that last year. And we that was a tough transition. Think about that. Scheme-wise, we had guys like Rashid Hageman. And, and we had big dudes on both sides of the lines and we had to change that. So being mindful of that in the future, or I would say to any up and coming uh, executive, make sure that you are very clear. And if you have questions, press your head coach and coordinators so that everyone knows, including the owner, so that you're not out on a limb by making the wrong acquisitions for a team that's going to move on from that team, you know, those players in, in a couple of years. And by the way, on the athletes, what we should talk about very quickly, there never was the focus on athletic performance earlier on, definitely in my earlier years of scouting, but even in 08 when I took the job with Atlanta, things changed. It was a massive, there was a massive movement in athletic performance. Yep. These players realized how much money was into their contracts. I felt that the guys had a lot more of a penchant to, to party. I'm not saying they don't party now, but they weren't as concerned about their bodies where now these yeah. guys are so in tune because they're, they're saying, I'll party when my time is right. Oh, right. I, I don't want to pull my hamstrings or my glutes uh, because I'm dehydrated out all night. I want to make sure that I'm in tune and make my money and, and, and secure my contracts. And that whole performance thing had a big bearing on how we were approaching our players and mm. utilizing them and keeping them healthy. Well, I never thought about that, but there's a lot of things you just brought up in the last 40 minutes I'd never thought about. Thomas Dimitrov, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for the insight. Talk soon. I appreciate you having me. All right. Thank you to Thomas for stopping by. Uh, awesome conversation. Next up on the feed, Nora Princiati, Maui Rubin, talking about quarterback and play caller pairings in the NFC West. Friday, Ben Solak, who got a shout out from Thomas Dimitrov. 
uh, Kalen Jones and Stephen Ruiz previewing week three action. I'll be back on Sunday with Nora, Ben, and Stephen reacting to all of Sunday's games. This show will be back next Wednesday and every Wednesday for the entire NFL season. Uh, Slow News Day features Alex Smith. Uh, that episode is already out. There's another episode coming out on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, with the beloved media figure. Um, both of those guys, uh, it was a real thrill, especially the second guy um, who's a real hero of mine. I'm not going to say it until it's out, but I, I enjoyed it. Thank you to associate producer Stefan Anderson for production on this episode and additional production supervision by Arjuna Rampagal. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.